Welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 548. My name is Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast, a very proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information, or to check out other shows on this network, go and visit their site, evergreenpodcasts.com. There's lots to explore. So this week's interview is with Michael Tennant. Michael's a fellow empathy activist who's an entrepreneur keynote speaker and author of the book, The Power of Empathy, A 30-Day Path to Personal Growth and Social Change. In this conversation with Michael, we explore how to handle adversity, financial strain and addiction. We dive deep into the power of empathy and how important it is to work on yourself. We explore issues of mental health, finding your why and some of the key insights in his book. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And if you can spare time, please consider dropping your rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe, certainly, to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Michael Tennant, how lovely to have you on my show. We almost had a chance to meet in real life. You have just published a book, The Power of Empathy, and uh, it feels like a really useful time to be talking about this. Uh, great to have you on my show. In your words, who is Michael? Michael Tennant. Yeah, Michael Tennant. I am a son, a father, a loving husband. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Curiosity Lab. We make products that make practicing empathy easy and accessible. And our, our mission is to make practicing empathy mainstream. Uh, that's who I am. That's lovely. Well, uh, I did want to start off by saying I, it feels like you've been through the ringer in this journey. Uh, would you feel that that's an appropriate description? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I would say we've had we've had some really really wonderful moments, uh, life changing moments throughout. But we've been really present to challenge as well. At some level, I I don't want to say it's but it's sort of and in the sense that these life changing moments, I feel in I mean I've done maybe seven hundred of these episodes, and when I get someone on who's done something courageous big, has, has done a massive transformation. Typically, it's because of and thanks to the hardship. Yeah. I often talk about the most difficult parts of my journey emotionally, which happened in 2019 as my emotional rock bottom. And this moment where I really had permission to look at all of my life differently and permission to let go of any incumbencies that might have been uh, deterring me from trying, taking risks, being willing to fail. Now, you were, I mean, at some levels, maybe living the high life, you're, you know, grand, you were founder of an agency. And, and doing a lot of things. And all of a sudden you 
you say you you had the permission at some level it was it given to you or did you take it i think the high life the the inertia i was in was taken away uh this commitment to the material things that i had uh the swank flat i had totally i had a, a concurrently i had a gone from being a high six figure advertising executive and advertising and media executive to starting a business having it start really strong but uh have it start to hit headwinds for the first time as a as a entrepreneur those headwinds were being negotiated uh and navigated alongside my business and romantic partner so sadly when that business also that failed the the relationship also failed and immediately after that i lost two of my older brothers uh so in a very fast period of time i went from just living this somewhat unintentional but very easy to be distracted by great job great projects uh decent amount of money decent amount of bills to to follow it to okay everything that i had uh i now am in danger of losing yeah and then not to mention the fact that that just preceded march of 2020 it ran level. yeah it ran directly from accepting uncertainty learning to accept uncertainty learning to survive through uh the biggest losses i ever had in losing two of my older brothers uh in 2019 but then into just <laughs> almost almost like a I kind of joke sometimes and say that I, the road trip that I went on for five months, there was a, a little bit of madness in it. Uh, but like I said, I had hit my emotional rock bottom. Uh, you know, I had a short stint in between where I was working as a chief marketing officer. So I had this, this um, title to prop me up for a while. And then they, they let me go. And I just, you know, I basically needed to learn how to how to anchor from inside, how to heal uh, from the inside out, how to heal by sharing sharing myself uh, and being received in a way that I previously uh, had too much ego to attempt, too much uh, to lose per se. Yeah, and maybe. In that there's the stiff upper lip, there's the, the sense if I show I'm weak, I, I am weak. Yeah. I like that you touch on that because, you know, right now I feel tingling down my shoulders and uh, actually down my uh, scalp as well. And I'm thinking about the times, uh, the time when I left from, you know, my community in bed which had its own reasons and own shields that I needed to hold up. It was a quite, you know, embattled neighborhood, uh, 
I grew up in the remnants of the crack epidemic, not even in the remnants, in the heart of it and in the remnants of it, and was able to get away to boarding school. But but I remember showing up in uh, predominantly white, you said stiff upper lips, so that's what targeted it. Because yeah, that that somehow you know got acquired a different type of shield in order to be safe in uh, elite white America. I needed to learn mm. how to uh, protect in a different way, and in in some ways, it, you know, I'd say the downside is you know that stiff up stiff upper lip that uh, you know probably helped me in corporate America as well. Mm. Well, it sounds like it's a uh, help uh, or a betting, maybe, and sometimes detracting. You, the word you use is resilience is your, what's your shield. And I kind of mm. interpreted that as a little bit like stiff upper lip. Ooh, yeah. Thank you for bringing up that opportunity to present a nuanced view on resilience. Um, when resilience became an anchor value for me, this is after uh this is after um Ahmad Arbery was gunned down in Atlanta. Yeah, and I can feel the sadness that I felt then and the despair that I felt then, the commonality that I felt. I was I was living with my parents in, in Florida, uh in the middle of the pandemic. Um And I connected that to, you know, just other moments of struggle throughout my life and struggle throughout my parents' life and the struggle that as a young Black man growing up gratefully in schools that uh, prior to boarding school where I was taught by predominantly Black and Caribbean teachers who taught me a lot about the struggle uh, from, you know, the Atlantic slave trade to how that manifested in the Caribbean world to how that manifested in the Americas and, and still all the greatness, all the thought leadership, the artistry, the resilience in the whole, the very myriad of ways that that showed up. So, you know, what I really wanted to do was to take trauma and turn it into a badge, uh, to turn trauma into a gentle shield, resilience, something that we don't need to uh, be weighed down by, but rather uh, propelled by. There's a question in my conversation game that is what is what is it, my conversation game actually curious and that is what is one trait you're proud to have inherited from your parents and resilience is one of them mm. i'm almost inclined to say it's a little generational at some level because they, and let's say, well, I'm more closer to your father's age than you, um, but I don't consider myself part of 
the older generation in that respect. But there, there is a notion that the older generations didn't have a vocabulary, didn't have exposure to, and were ingrained with the idea of resilience. We're ingrained with the idea that life is full of adversity, and, yeah. and that is why you need to be resilient. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's certainly my 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 parents would have a different relationship with the word resilience than i do mm. um because there's this uh expectation i think and it's not <clears throat> actually it's not just it's not just across color lines it's not just across generation lines i'd say uh, uh, myself, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm about to turn 40, uh, December 1st. So you have to keep trying to get closer to me <laughs> quite a long way off. But I do think that, you know, my generation having been raised, I think there's a, uh, there's still a cultural inertia around a stiff upper lip as the, as the norm to be aspired towards and that that type of resilience this sort of it's shameful to um not show the spectrum of emotions that show up throughout struggle uh that kind of resilience and that's not what that's not what i'm i'm meaning to uh celebrate no i can understand that of course um the fact that you lost your two brothers, do you have other siblings? I didn't see, I don't remember reading anything else about other siblings. Yeah. I have uh, one older brother and I have a few half siblings. Right. And the two of them together, when I first read the time, you said you lost two brothers in the same year. Uh, I, I was just imagining it must've been a car accident, both of them in it. Um, the fact that they, I mean, that what a, absolute shocker before 50 years old to die so close to one another i mean you, you, one is just terrible but two yeah <clears throat> i've had uh surprisingly this this um really interesting camaraderie that's shown up among people who understand what it's like to lose a sibling young it's it's certainly uh it's certainly usually so unexpected that it um it just tends to ripple through a family differently um especially when the parents are still alive. So it almost uh, seems to skip a generation of loss, which no one wants any loss, but in some ways that tends to be somewhat more understandable. Mm. So uh, I was kind of almost like a, <laughs> my brothers could have almost been in some ways, they could have almost been my parents. They were, there was a 13 year difference so I really had this, um, I think most siblings, especially among brothers, there's this this like hero-like admiration of an older sibling. Um, but my brother, Chris, when I lost him, it, it just, it destroyed me. He was, he was not only uh, an older brother, what I would come 
through the, the reflection that I've done through my work of empathy and, and through being supported in, in men's work and healing, I've come to realize that Chris was one of the few people that showed me consistent gentleness. I didn't have language like that at that point, but one of the reasons why it was so hard to lose him is that uh, we just had a different bond. And then my brother, Darren, who they're both, they're the middle, the middle two, but my three oldest brothers, they were born really close to one another in Jamaica. And then I came 13 years later in, in America. With uh, the same mom. With the same mom. And when, uh, when Darren passed, it was, it was also really devastating because he, he was an army veteran. He, he didn't share to any extent the uh health challenges that he was working through so when he went from being hospitalized for a week to uh being released to to passing the same weekend he was released that came as a really big shock to everyone but one of the things that stuck out to me was how much uh he suffered in silence and was unable unable to share that he what he was going through well i've i've um studied a lot of what happens with veterans that come back from war and uh, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with those issues of, of sharing pains and so on I you mentioned just now the notion of working with men and I one of the things that I wanted to ask you about because I don't know about it is that your your participation in the leadership group the men's leadership group every man and I wanted to tie that in with something else, which is that uh, the question is, as you, you know, so rightly point out, there's this spike crisis in mental health. I mean, it's basically across the West, not just in the United States. And there's a corresponding lack of therapists, not just in the United States, but in Canada, United, France, England, Australia. What what do you what do you what do you think is is causing this spike? Yeah, I smile because in a way, um, I didn't know if there was it was almost like a like a layup uh, in terms of uh, well, I think the most obvious and discussed cause is loneliness. Um. I guess through the thesis that I've been focusing on and where a lot of the attention I've spent is that uh, a lot of it is being caused by our lack of ability to confront our most difficult emotions and particular um, shame <laughs> among them. Um, the shame that shows up whenever we try to go deeper with ourselves or with one another. You know, men, men, we essentially uh, have been conditioned to believe that showing up any emotion is meant to bring up shame. <laughs> so let's simplify it there and just say using men as a case study uh, with the uh, privileges that we are able to uh, take advantage of as as men in our society i think 
there also is this burden that that uh you know that we that we live within that says don't show your emotions and if you do you should feel shame and if you do feel shame that's the worst thing you can feel well i i i mean let's say to quibble of all the emotions or at least the big five that you talk about i'm pretty sure we're allowed to share joy yes we're allowed yeah and then even anger is almost masculine in some regards yeah. it's toxic in other terms but it's it's a more a uh, statement of strength as but right. shame well sadness will weak vulnerability uh seems to be the maybe the bridge between those emotions and the shame yeah yeah yeah, I think, you know, anger, anger is a protective emotion. Uh, when you really look at it, oftentimes this emotion that we feel uh, permission and some, you know, uh, I'd be remiss not to say that situationally, uh, obviously, like the, the emotion of, of anger um, at times is weaponized against uh, men of color. Uh, which is something I've certainly experienced. Women of color as well. Women, period. Um, yeah, but that anger, you know, I've actually done a lot to speak about us all having permission to let anger into the room in, in a more constructive way. Uh, acknowledging that anger oftentimes is here to protect something. Uh, if we're being just vulnerable maybe anger is speaking up in in the place of shame or fear or or fear is the okay if i'm under attack then anger has all all uh all types of permission to be here we want that here right we're you know most people would say hey if, if someone is gonna tap into to anger to protect us then then that's okay hence the notion that it's masculine at that point yeah right Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. One of the, going back to the loneliness story, uh, the, the other sensation I have, and obviously yeah. not backed up by any data of any sort, and, and, and I wanted to pick it up by something you wrote, you wrote, I was addicted to experience intense emotions. And I feel somehow that this notion of wanting intense emotions yeah. is also a, a more deep problem within our society it's almost like if if you look at it where you have a yeah. generally good life going on generally yeah I mean we have access to medicine that 
150 years ago didn't exist, progress and so on. And yeah. the United States isn't officially at war. Um, yeah. and, and the life expectancy is generally longer, except, of course, for like two brothers and so on. But right. there, there, there seems to be a craving to, to need to have intense emotions to feel like I exist. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to recall specifically where I use that. Um, oftentimes, what, what's most resonant for me at the moment is how that shows up in dating contexts, uh, particularly uh, for I, I had a, a history of um, pursuing uh, really exciting dating contexts that ultimately uh, would burn out. Um and so high passion is that what you mean sort of like a high passion high glamour i would say that would be as i started to recognize like hey this isn't working for me that would be the way that it, it might look uh i started to realize that i would pursue very very extroverted uh personality types um much more extroverted than i am and I didn't really have a great relationship with myself to to realize that there was only but so much of it that I could take at a time. And, and then I didn't know how to communicate when I needed rest. Um, I think that, you know, as you were speaking through the different permutations of, of how that might show up, I think our, as a society, our relationship with media, our relationship with consumption in general. Um, I think I, I spoke earlier about making a high salary, but then having the cost to match, you know, the, the keeping up with the Joneses, if you will. Uh, uh, so yeah, I do think we're, we're addicted to, to the, the chase in some ways more than we, we recognize. And, and even now as, as I'm much more, uh, uh, proud and feeling in my integrity with my relationship, with pursued or pursuit of excitement, I, I, I still find it as, as a challenge, um, as a new dad, as a, uh, a homeowner, um, all of a sudden there are these new routines that very much differ from my lifestyle living in the East Village of New York <laughs> in my 20s and 30s. Well, no doubt. And, uh, and you and I shared a few things before going on, but presumably have many, even though 20 odd years, a difference that we may have. So Michael, I want to um, swing into empathy a little bit more. Obviously the topic of your book, The Power of Empathy, it's a great read. It's really personable. And the other thing that's really interesting about yeah. it is it's very actionable. Thank you. you really break it down in ways that people can materially either you know read it in little bite sizes, read it in one full swig, but there's always these exercises. It's great, and in the uh, among in the process, you you dive into what is empathy. So, um, if I start off by saying, you know, obviously I've written about empathy, I tend to think of empathy as just two types, even though I know that there are up to five types. Um, so I usually refer to cognitive and affective. But even in those, or at least not in the cognitive, but in the affective there's a, uh, a, a quite a big difference. So talk us through how you and and how you came to your definition or fall on that mm. threefold cognitive somatic 
and um, effective. Yeah. I didn't know that. I actually, now I want to research like five. Let me uh, dive into well, that. One of them is like self-empathy and I can't remember the fifth one right off the bat, but. Okay. Interesting. Well, I think that uh, immediately this vision of a pyramid of understanding of empathy, of empathy came into my brain, which I've, I've never talked about uh before so we're going to co-create together Excellent. and at the top is this under this putting yourself in the other shoes definition i feel like that takes the cake most people uh come up with some version of that empathy is the ability to put yourself in the other person's shoes and i'd say uh deeper um slightly deeper sub-definition is to feel uh, either sympathy or compassion for others. This very kind of outward focused um, definition of, of empathy. And then I love the two, the two buckets of cognitive and effective. Um, and just underneath that, so I might as well just bridge to that. I then, when I dive deeper into the uh, shared lexicon of speaking of empathy, I then talk about cognitive, affective, and somatic. And I usually talk about somatic in the middle. I think somatic is, so for your listeners who who may not be that familiar with these uh, definitions, cognitive is an intellectual understanding. And when I explain it, I, I usually say, as long as you know the five core emotions and you can start to 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 test, hey, is that what's showing up? Then you've already kind of leveled up your cognitive understanding of emotions. Uh, those are joy, fear, anger, shame, and sadness. Uh, effective is, uh, or at least the way that I define it. So I'm curious how you define it. But for me, it is how, it is being able to attune to what's needed in the moment. Um, and that, uh, usually, you know, the empathetic leaders that we we see or we experience that that's that's what we're experiencing. Their ability to to really nuance their behavior, their words, uh, their direction, their support for what's needed on an emotional level. So I'll pause there before I talk about somatic. Right. So uh, two two comments. The first is well, we I talk about affective emotion uh, empathy is 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 literally feeling the other person's feelings and and that's what i call affective empathy and cognitive being the understanding of the other person's thoughts feelings and experience their context what's interesting second comment is if you look at the neuroscience your definitions possibly in reverse order if i may are much closer to what the brain does, which is emotion, feel it, go to my memory bank, evaluate that emotion, where does it come from? And then I start thinking about what, is, what does this all mean? And then at the end, I have an action. Yeah. So if I, if I re-put that back in empathy words, affective in your term, or emotion anyway, somatic, memory bank, getting getting a little bit on more of an, a grip on that emotion, and then the cognitive rationalization, understanding of mm. what's going on to you. 
um yeah i'm playfully present to the our the differences in how we approach the, these these language this language yeah so but but i do love the uh how you've contextualized the the brain processing of emotion so for for me cognitive is the intellectual understanding the building block so it would almost be the the five core emotions this is your these are your uh this is your mortar your bricks uh somatic is sensing this is the the art this is the biology it's actually we can feel the emotions in our body and the more that we are present to it we can actually connect the five core emotions to them actually showing up in our bodies before we process which of which of them they are. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in our model just actually um, forcing us to to break those into two parts more often than we normally do. Mm. And then the way I approach effective, and not just not just not just me, uh, is how you put it together in real time uh it not being a mechanical process you've done you've broken it down into these are the emotions this is how it feels when they're present to a point where you now have the confidence to act on that knowledge instantaneously or slowing the pace down so that you have more space to act on that knowledge that's showing mm. well the, i suppose in reflection the the difference is the anchoring around emotions themselves. Whereas I tend to accept much more the idea of understanding the thoughts that of course, as one will know, are always preceded by some emotion. And of course, in the way the brain works, the, the way the emotions and that somatic element is happening so quickly it's instinctual but then we have the the brain the we go into the cortex and we're a little bit more thought thoughtful about what's happening in reverse order but and then to what extent in your your experience is it possible to teach these forms of empathy because if if i were to say i I'm not a feeling kind of guy or I don't, I don't show my emotions. Is that something you can teach? Yeah. So my book and our model believes, yes, Uh, my life experience and the experience that I've uh, witnessed among other um, men specifically who are deeply steeped in somatic experiencing as a practice says yes. Um, and then my, I guess my bias would say that most of us um, take comfort in going to the intellectual uh, almost as a protective mechanism that uh, I, this model um, w- means to, kind of present that as a premise and say, hey, let's try and see what happens if we um, try to attune to the emotions above the thought. Right. And this is the cognitive piece, the beginning for me, which is actually knowledge of cognition of 
the five let's start with the five emotions yeah. and and not and and certainly not to quibble but one of the things that's interesting for me as i've been reading is how how difficult it is to be accurate about the emotions that mm. we're feeling oh yeah. and you know the, let's say even the difference between fear and anger yeah um that can be a little bit complicated but there are so many other emotions that we are, I think we, uh, here I'm classifying us as men, dudes, yeah. not yeah. so good at spinning yeah. hairs in those other emotions. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, what I'm hearing is, is even being given the prompt to, say, visit uh, an emotion that uh, up until this point you're not, perhaps n not that easy for you to access, um, is is a challenging prompt to give. Is a challenging prompt to follow uh, and to get something out of. Does that sound right? Well, yeah, and the the, the definitions uh, and the nuances between them. Yeah, they're they're sometimes fleeting. They yeah. might be regrouped. You might mm. be feeling multiple emotions and then yeah. recategorizing them. Actually, being able to split which one's which and what's yeah. causing what. Yeah. But how often do we do that, though we experience these emotions that we actually slow down and try? I, I would certainly agree with you. And, and yeah. that's why your exercise of mindfulness and, and leaning into this and breaking it down, the little yeah. exercises you have at the end of each chapter is, is totally worthwhile. Uh, we Just for the last... So that was really interesting. But the last piece I wanted to talk about was more about your entrepreneurship and, sure. and what you've been doing. You obviously had a sort of a pivot from one company or the same company, Curiosity Lab, to this new new mission you have. And I would love for you to describe because you, you you write about purpose. And I'm gonna I'm gonna for this point I'm gonna copy uh, a text that you or you know a paragraph you wrote about purpose because it's something I write about a lot. Uh, and you, you wrote, by channeling purpose, you are establishing empathy rituals that direct your emotional awareness outward. You are, in effect, increasing your capacity for self-compassion, a key component of channeling purpose, which can have an enormous positive effect on your sense of happiness. And from the rituals you establish, the empathy that is discovered can unlock new possibilities in your relationships from the personal and romantic ones to professional family and community relationships. And most importantly, your relationship with your own dreams and ambitions. Holy tomato. I, you know, when, when you read that, or you, hopefully if you're listening to that, you're thinking shite. I mean, purpose is big, huge. It's going to do everything. Give us a, what is purpose for you? And two, how purpose can really shift people's lives. Yeah. I love that excerpt that you pulled. Uh, you're going to have to message me, uh, remind me specifically where that came from, because it really does seem to sum up the entire model, five phases of empathy, specifically as applied to the individual. Uh, this book certainly leans more to the individual than, say, a industrial organizational context, which a lot of the empathy work does. 
And the reason I do that is, I mean, my personal purpose is to uh, really surprise ourselves as a society on how we can break down our uh, walls of division. Uh, but my approach is that if you if you feel better, then you have more capacity for those difficult challenges. So my bet is that if I help you maximize your well-being and your happiness with these tools that, by the way, also support you in having challenging discussions from your, you know, your your closest familial relationships out to strangers or adversaries even, right? So how do I help you to unlock happiness and well-being? It's that through my experience, I was able to overcome my biggest challenges by having a regimen of consistency around pursuing my purpose or even around having dialogue about what is my purpose and then landing on that. And wow, all the happiness when I landed on a deeply resonant purpose. Now that purpose has changed. It's probably changed like at least like nuanced uh, from some similar roots, but maybe six, seven times since 2019 on this, this healing journey. And, and every time it feels like, wow, it feels like endorphin boost, right? All of those things that we talked about in terms of uh, chasing these like artificial spikes of, uh, of excitement springing from my mind and my self-reflection and my ability to articulate it to me, right? So essentially, uh, we give you building blocks that help you to, to actually not only land on a deeply heartfelt and resonance. We're teaching you how do you feel and label those feelings? And then how do you use that, that access, that willingness to have that same dialogue that we just um, kind of, you know, in some ways it would seem like we were splitting hairs, but, it, but I think we're, we're practicing. We're practicing empathy live uh, with one another. And and through that that deeper awareness and the tools of doing that, then you, you get to you get to really feel what matters to you, and so much so that you can put language to it, cognition, as you as as you as you say. But then the rest of the model then says, now that I know uh, what it feels like to find deeply resonant values and to put it into a purpose statement that I can call upon easily. I, I don't have to, I don't have to like labor to grab that statement. Now I can apply that every time I interact from, from romantic partners to coworkers, to strangers, to the challenging choices that show up because they inevitably be, inevitably do because we're people. And so how Michael, do you intentionally insert in your day? What are your tricks for, I, I see tricks as in your techniques for making it happen? Yeah. So, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about the initial building blocks, but I would say that, you know, the uh, attempt to understand in a very kind of um, intimate and slow way how emotions are showing up for me in in day to day interactions in our conversation in my interactions with my my one year old with with work with entrepreneurship 
I love that I get to bring this work to entrepreneurs because we're facing uh, spikes in emotion all the time, surprises that we need to be resilient for. Uh, but resilient shit. In, we deal with shit, but deal with shit in a way that um, is uh, sustainable. And then I think that's 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 a new thing that entrepreneurs and everyone uh, who works is calling for is is uh, and has more permission is is I want this to be sustainable. I want I want to be a part of pushing that collective life expectancy up. I want that. I want that for me. I want that for the people I love. Um, so, I mean, how do I do it? Um, well, I have a daily practice of mindfulness and slowing down which helps me to also channel slowing down in emergency cases as well because because i have a muscle around it and part of that is uh is meditating or spending time in a garden or running or walking but while i'm doing that i'm checking in with my body so I'm having a, a a dual conversation where I can then say what is what is present for me uh, beyond what I might have spoken uh, to anyone else. What is present underneath the first order um, responsibilities? It's sort of like having a meta version of you. There's, there's you walking and sweating or doing that activity, but then there's you watching you sweat. There's mm. you observing what's happening and taking distance from it, maybe to contextualize yeah. almost what's happening. Yeah, I love it. And so we just spent, we just got to that phrase, speaking about that meta relationship with yourself in service of your well-being, in service of your happiness. But if you have that ability to do so uh, in service of those things, now imagine what happens when um, perhaps you're in a, a conflict that involves multiple people and you can support yourself as you're trying to show up in your integrity and in alignment with your purpose, uh, even though all these emotions are coming and ping-ponging off of your past experiences, and Right. But then you may also aspire eventually to witness what might be showing up for the other key players in the room. Now, your ability to practice with yourself on a daily basis leaves you prepared to have a better shot at that. And I'm not going to say you're always going to win, win or uh, walk out with <laughs> a smooth... Uh, you just facilitated this smooth closure to the situation, uh, but you're most likely going to be surprised and more proud of uh, your abilities to show up in those in those situations than you may have in, in the past. Well, the other I mentioned self empathy. I mean, you write about that. The what the other term that I frequently talk about is organizational empathy. And, and try to think about how you as a company show up in these areas. And that's obviously a lot trickier whole thing. Um, I, I, there's another sentence I loved in, in it. And we're going to end with this, which is Thank for you. you to comment on. Empathy is, not, is a not so secret cheat code for uncovering our true desires and our unique paths to happiness. 
thought that was about as sexy uh, a line as they get. Wow. Oh, man, I'm going to take sound bites of you re reacting to this book and uh, play them back uh, when I'm having challenging moments so that I can cool. tap into the feeling that I have. Thank you so much for those uh, complimentary words. Yeah, I mean, I think that statement taps into two things. One is bringing tangible process to using your emotions to unlock what you truly desire. The other is bringing a process of trying to understand the subconscious that shows up, that gets in the way of your true desires. Like the ego, I would say, on some level, for example. Like the ego, like our fears, like our biases. Those are the big ones that show up for me right now. Beautiful. Michael, um, how could anybody go grab your book and uh, or follow what you work on, maybe get some of your curious uh, tools that you have? Yeah. What's the best way to go get that, all that? Yeah, I'm grateful that we have um, achieved a suite of tools, as you say, cheat codes, if you will, that help people make emp practicing empathy really accessible in their lives. Uh, the book can be found, it's called The Power of Empathy. It can be found at booksellers everywhere around the world. Uh, our conversation game, Actually Curious, we love it when people buy it from us, but, but it's also quite widely distributed. So Actually Curious, the conversation game that teaches empathy. And yeah, reach out to us. Uh, the Five Phases of Empathy model, which is outlined in the book, uh, I get to teach it at schools and corporations across the world. I've also just recently released a self-guided course at the five phases of empathy.com where you can uh, have my guidance at your own your own pace to work through the five phases of empathy. And I'm just really grateful for this platform to share that. Fabulous. And you are most welcome, Michael. I'll put all those links into the show notes and I look forward to shooting or chewing the cut or shooting the shit uh, another time, perhaps in real life. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you. So a really heartfelt thanks for listening to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show, please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast service. As ever, ratings and reviews are the real currency of podcasts. And if you're really inspired, I'm accepting donations on patreon.com forward slash Minterdial. You'll find the show notes with over 2,100 blog posts on Minterdial.com on topics ranging from leadership to branding, tech, and marketing tips. Check out my documentary film and books, including the last one, the second edition of Artificial Empathy, Putting Heart into Business and Artificial Intelligence that came out in April 2023. And to finish... Here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
how much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.